Welcome to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. I am Dr. John, the guide for your heroic journey towards greater health, success, and most importantly, happiness. And now, on with the show. Hi, this is Dr. John, and I am thrilled to announce that Jory and I are opening up our retreat in beautiful Costa Rica from September 28th of 2024 to October 5th. Everyone wants fulfilling relationships. The hard part is love is not enough. So many factors can get in the way preventing ongoing connection, intimacy, and aligned growth. All healthy relationships start within. But when we have unresolved stuff, it can easily interfere with those we are seeking to be closest with. Whether you're in a long-term committed partnership or are single and are looking for love, this retreat will guide you in the heroic journey of healing yourself so that you can be open and available to cultivate the fulfilling relationships you desire and deserve. To find out more, visit joryrose.com slash retreats. That's J-O-R-E-E-R-O-S-E dot com slash retreats. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. John back with another episode of the Evolved Caveman podcast. And I am really excited to have with me today, Allie Goldberg. And Allie's a creator whose work has been covered by LA Magazine, Good Morning America, the Savage Lovecast, Wired, NPR, and more. And more recently, she sold her live comedy show, How to Break Up by Text, to a well-known pod, well-known podcasting platform. And in that show, celebrities perform your breakup texts, and then an expert joins as we break down your breakup. However, the thing that caught my eye is for the past year, she's been hosting her newest creation, Love Isn't Blind, which is a comedy slash dating show where the men can't speak. And Allie was recently named one of the top 10 funniest women in New York City. She's also a graduate a graduate of Yale University. We won't hold that against her. Obviously, she's a liberal elitist. But Allie, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Being a liberal elitist, oh my gosh, it means so much more right now. I don't know. Well, I'm a Cal graduate, so uh, I guess I'm definitely in that camp also. Um, yeah. I, I don't consider myself quite that, but you know. Yeah. It doesn't stop people from throwing labels around like I just did. Yes. I <laughs> just just the debate on the college campuses right now. It's <laughs> It's insane. But I yeah. it's it's out there. But uh, I did go to Yale, I did have a good time. <laughs> well, congratulations on getting in. That's quite an accomplishment. So obviously but you're smart. funny as people say that and I'm like, but you, all of my college friends went there. For me it's not a big deal, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, all your college friends were smart and accomplished too. They're fun. <laughs> I, I went to Pomona College, which is considered the it's School beautiful. of Stanford Rejects. No, I've been there and it's beautiful, <laughs> right? It's like a little oh, college gorgeous. in the mountains and like on the It's fantastic. And it's a I member of it. four like Pomona Yeah, the, the Claremont colleges. Yeah. Oh my god, they're beautiful. I went, I went, <laughs> I did this like incredibly dorky high school program at one of those. Oh, you were a dork. Oh my gosh, huge dork. I don't <laughs> I haven't even thought about this program in so long, but it was at Claremont McKenna and I was an East Coaster. And that was the moment where I was like, California is the promised land. Yeah. I've maybe been lying to my people about Israel. I shouldn't put that out there at this juncture, but <laughs> I, California is the promised land. <laughs> so let, turning to your show, because I was watching some of the, <laughs> the clips of topic, Love Isn't yeah. Blind. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um and and I'm I'm really curious about this. I really want to see the show live, by the way. So next time you come up to San Francisco, you'll have to hook me up. But what what universal truths have you uncovered via comedy 
about men due to this show? Ooh, that's a great question. Because there's got to be some themes and and yeah, and just issues. I mean, I mean, like one of the yeah. one of the questions that you asked. I'm trying to buy you some time to think here. No, no, no. I have an answer. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Go ahead. Well, one thing for starters is that men are not aware of their body language. So it's been very interesting when they can't speak and they're only being judged on their body language, how a lot of men are not realizing how they come across. And it's oh, interesting. Like, there was one guy. Yeah, there's one guy that like, you know, he just seemed... <laughs> he kind of like sat back. He see, Everyone assumed he was a fuckboy. Like everyone was like, this guy's a fuckboy. <laughs> just like the way he was holding himself. But it was so interesting to me because he's a really nice guy. And how does a fuckboy hold himself? He was like leaning back in his chair, taking like up a lot of space. No, like not slouched forward, like slouched back. Sl- like, yeah, slouched, yeah. like slumped in the chair. And then his friend gave him a lollipop in the middle of the show and he was like sucking on a lollipop. Like he he looked like he was going to be a fuckboy and he's actually a really nice guy. But it's not just him. That's the, like, the example that comes to mind. But a lot of men don't mm-hmm. think about their body language. And I do have a theory that there's something a little bit gendered here because women are like so oh, yeah. conscious of how they look at all times. Um, and so I've had to start saying to the men, like, just keep in mind, you're not speaking. So they're really reading your body language a lot more than you're thinking. Um, so that's something that's come to that, you know, through the show it has come to light. There's a lot of um, yeah, I could talk about it all day. So, so, what, so what let me so let me let me yeah. let me ask you a question there though, because it it's interesting that you know, you you draw the conclusion this guy looks like a fuckboy because he's kind of slumped in his chair, taking up a lot of space, being kind of typically large in taking up the space as an alpha male, quote unquote, would do, which the conclusion I think you draw from that is this guy's trying to act apathetic, like he doesn't care, like he just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, and he's actually like a great, sweet guy with an incredible background. So it's self-protective. I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Would be my guess. Yeah. And then maybe unaware too, which to yeah. your point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because the thing is, I'm working hard to find like good, nice guys for the show. Like I want it to be a show for like smart, nice guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, I've done all this vetting and not that my vetting is like at all uh, ironclad or uh, I would not personally be so single if my vetting process was better, <laughs> right? But, um, but yeah, you, you know, it's just interesting, you know, that I that at this point I it's now something that I tell the guys I'm like all right you really want to be conscious of how you're holding yourself how you're sitting I mean not overly conscious I don't want to make them nervous because they're not performers generally well they got to be ner- they got to be nervous I would think most of them anyway yeah that's the thing is so I don't want to make them more nervous because yeah they're they're not necessarily guys who have any kind of performance background although right. the guys that have the most fun on the show for sure are guys with quote unquote normal jobs but they've like taken improv for fun on the side ah uh, so they're a little and, bit more comfortable with making fun of themselves. Yeah, and they're comfortable on stage. And something we'll probably get to later in this conversation is that a lot of the guys who are good at the show, I also find out later that they're secretly in some kind of men's group. Yeah, which is pretty which fascinating. Is how we got connected. So fascinating. Right. Yeah. And be, so that means to me that they are comfortable with emotion. They're comfortable with emoting. Yeah, and they're comfortable with like being vulnerable, being vulnerable yeah. on a stage, being asked absurd questions and just being like, sure, I'll answer, you know? Yeah, and some of your questions are absurd. Yeah, they are. <laughs> Which I love. I mean, that's part of the fun, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, the, that's the other thing is like, I don't 
ever want the comedy to come from making fun of the men or roasting the men. The comedy is like the juxtaposition of the questions, right? Like Mm -hmm. I have this yes or no round where the men are blindfolded. They can only do thumbs up for yes, thumbs down for no. So it's more that I might ask them a real sort of relationship-oriented question immediately followed by something like some kind of ins- like, do you watch stepmom porn? Porn, like just like you know, have you been? Well, yeah, on? So, like I'll do one, that. Yeah, one, clip, then, one clip. Was you know your attachment aware. style. Yeah, and then it was you know, have you ever been peed on? Which all the men said no to, and then you said, have you ever peed on someone? And one guy said, yeah, thumbs yeah. up. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that was pretty funny. So, what other truths have you uncovered about men? I mean, what's helped you in your own dating life? So I, it sounds like emotional yeah. awareness, men's group. Kind of, I, and I really think the ability to not take ourselves so seriously is a big part of this. Well, I don't know if this is exactly what you're asking, but what, what does come to mind in terms of like what I've learned and also how it's helped my own dating life is I created this show because I love rowdy interactive shows and dating lends itself to that. But I was actually kind of concerned that it was going to make me more jaded about dating. And I actually think it's made me less jaded. Um, for a couple reasons. One, if you are heterosexual, it's very easy to go on three, five, 75, <laughs> 175 mm-hmm. bad dates and conclude all men are X, all women uh-huh. are Y. Actually, this, in terms of chromosomes, that doesn't. Anyway, um, <laughs> so it's very easy to do that. But now I'm interviewing people about their dating life all the time which is a fascinating thing to do when you're not on a date with them. And I'm just meeting so many men and women who are like, I really want something serious. I don't know what hasn't happened for me, but I'm excited to try something new. And when you ask them what they're looking for in a partner, they have a really beautiful response. So it's actually made me more positive about dating because I have now all these beautiful data points on men. And it's Mm. much harder now for me as a woman to ever slide into that, oh, well, all men, they're all, they're all assholes or they all mm-hmm. just want one thing or whatever it is, you know what I mean? But I think similarly, um, you know, I, I hope that men realize that as well. I'm, And on the flip side of that, the, the sort of unexpected thing that has made me more optimistic is that I'm also seeing bullshit across the board, right? So hmm. I am... See, so I am meeting men who, you know, after we Zoom, I'm like, I will never put this man on stage. The, uh, I mean, a man literally told me that women expire at 40. Those were the Ooh. words he used. Yeah. It, insane. Whether I am 40 or 22, that's an insane thing to say. He was like, I'm not a woman. I don't expire at 40. It was like, oh, uh. right. That I meet a lot of men who want to date way younger, which I think is not, I mean, if you happen to meet someone younger, great. But if you do not date anywhere near your own age, what's going on there? I could rant about that right. for a long time. Um, but similarly, it's the number of women who are like, I asked them, what are you looking for in a partner? And the first thing they say is height. And I'm like, I don't uh-huh. give a shit. I don't care. Well, that's like, the old I- <laughs> trope, right? Like I want six foot, six pack, six abs. Uh, six, six pack abs, six yeah. figures. And I'll say for, you know, for the men listening, Again, most of the women who I, whom I interview, most of the men are actually lovely. But then there is this subsect, but it actually, in, a, in this backwards way, makes me more optimistic because now that I'm ex, like really experiencing what my guy friends have complaints about, I'm like, oh, we're, we're all working with this shit. I will say this, the bad mm-hmm. stuff that the men say is worse. <laughs> Probably, but for the yeah. women, But for the women for height, and I tell them to their face every time, I'm like, the, why? 
Why? I mean, to be honest, it's kind of the patriarchy talking. Like, Yeah, oh yeah. This is where the patriarchy does not serve men. It's like, oh, men have to be these big, tall, strong protectors. But And I actually made a TikTok about it last week because the number of women... I'm, and the number of women who tell me this who are like 5'2", and they're like, I don't date anyone under 5'10". And I'm like, well, I hate to tell you that this is why you're single. You know what I mean? But it's like mm-hmm. the percentage of the population that is over 5'10", I don't know what it is. And I didn't look it up for this podcast, but it's gotta <laughs> be small, you know? Yeah. And then it's like, that's also not, not, that doesn't have anything to do with the, uh, what kind of long-term partner this person will be, right? Right. Are well, and they, I think these are all yeah. bullshit stories that were fed as a young kid, right? Whether it's, you know, these are the rules about what it means to be a real man or, you know, the Disney fairy tales of this is what Prince Charming should look like. Yeah. But it's sad because they're all holding us back. But yeah, I've I've had, I've had uh, you know, I also had a man tell me, I, I like girls who are really thin, like not emaciated, but really thin. And I was like, I will never put you on stage. I mean, it, for mm-hmm. in general, for me, if they lead with the physical, it's a bit of a red flag in terms of mm-hmm. whether or not I'll put them on stage. But there's so many people with lead that lead with like, oh, I really love a woman who like, is really passionate about what she does and she has her own thing going on and I just want to be able to watch her do that thing. And then someone who supports me, you know what I mean? People have really mm-hmm. beautiful things to say too. And so it's actually made me more optimistic. I, I love that you say that. It gives me hope. It does. It does. Because even, even if these men aren't for me, like, they're out there and now I know. <laughs> yeah. And there are good men out there, just like there are good women out there. Yeah, totally. So um, let me, so now we've been serious for a little bit. So let's go uh, funny, I suppose. What's the craziest thing you've heard? Because one of the things you do is you'll call a guy's family member on their phone on the show, right? Oh my, oh my gosh. I love it. So I call their, yeah. What are some of the craziest things you've heard? So I call the boys' moms live on stage. Um, but every now and then there's someone who I'm sorry to say has already lost a parent or both parents or whatever. And Ooh. I, uh, yeah. And so I tell them, I'm like, look, I'm not going to penalize you for that. You can introduce me to another family member. So occasionally I talk to other family members. So two things that immediately come to mind is I called this one guy's mom and I said, What are you looking for in a daughter in law? And she paused and she said, Honestly, fertility. The audience shrieked. It was, oh it was bananas. Gosh. I didn't know she was going to say that either. Because I, I chat with them. People don't realize this, but I chat with the moms in advance, make sure they're ready, okay. they're comfortable, they have my number saved. It's funny to me how people think I'm actually doing all of this on the fly. And I'm like, they would never... The moms on the East Coast wouldn't even be awake. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, and then there was one guy where I called his cousin and I said, why do you think he would make a great partner? And the cousin paused and said, I don't. It was... Everyone oh. screamed. Now, the reason I share that story actually is because the guy was such a fucking good sport about it. Because oh. I said to him later, I was like, because otherwise I would never retell that story ever. But I said to him right after, I said, hey, just so you know, like we don't need to put that part in social, on social media. And he goes, no, that'll be a great clip for you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I don't know what the backstory was. Was she being funny? And it did not go over well, but he was a great sport. He was all about it. He reshared the clip. Like he knew it was ridiculous. Um, but he's also an example of someone who's like doing a lot of work. You know what yeah. I mean? And so, but it was very interesting how sort of delightful and positive and like supportive he was. He was like, no, you got to post that. That'll be good for you. I well, like, I really stand by my Hi. my belief that sense of humor is critical Yeah, in these relationships because life is difficult. Life's tough. And you got to be able to laugh at it at times. And I, I mean, I, I love the idea that comedy at least many times comedy is tragedy plus 30 seconds mm-hmm. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, someone's got to be the first to make the joke about the Twin Towers mm-hmm. or Israel or whatever it is, right? That we need to laugh in order to heal. Yeah. And the first person that makes a joke is going to get, you know, crucified. But then <laughs> I know, it also, that's the it, other problem, right? It now. opens the way for other people to speak yeah. about it. Will you get canceled for others to thrive? Yeah. Well, yeah, the, yeah, that's the whole cancel culture thing lately. That's been tough too. But yeah. um, I, I'm just a huge fan of comedy and using comedy, laughter, and smiling to heal. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm on board. And I think that's one <laughs> of the things that I really struggle against with this whole political correctness movement and this whole cancel culture is that it makes us afraid to say anything. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the I think we're overcorrecting in a lot of ways mm-hmm. as a society. And so yeah. I, my hope is that um, you know, I'm picturing like a pendulum and, you know, eventually it kind of levels out um, in its swing. So I'm hoping that that is what happens. Well, and that's usually the way it works, the, the pendulum swing, and that we overcorrect one way and then we overcorrect the other way in the hopes that we'll get somewhere in the yeah. middle in a wall. I'm worried zone. that social media is going to prevent the ever coming back together in the middle, but we'll see. I really think yeah. we should unplug it and then plug it back in when people are better. <laughs> well, we know that human nature, that you know, the bad news will travel much more quickly and much more, it's got a greater reach than the good news. And that's yeah. problematic on social media. Well, it's been so interesting too to see so many very intelligent friends uh, on social media freaking out about, you know, the Israel-Gaza war. And like, they ha- absolutely everything they're seeing is real, but also I'm like, you know, these algorithms are designed to get an emotional reaction for you mm-hmm. like they're f- from you. They're not showing you the groups working towards peace and what they're doing, right? They're not going to show you that by design. Well, and, so, and what are the stickiest emotions, which we've seen in politics for several years now, they're fear and anger and they're the yeah. easiest ones to play on. Yeah. And so I think the algorithms are designed to tap into those. I think politicians have realized for years that that's a good way to go is to tap into those emotions and it just foments division. Yeah. So back to comedy. Yeah. Okay. So I wait, I got, I got a great question now. Sorry. We have another little digression. There. No, no, you're good. So you're good. I, I can say Allie with a hundred percent confidence that I have never, ever asked anybody in my life the following question. I'm pumped. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. If you were a sex toy, what toy would you be? Okay. So there's this new toy. I love how you're considering this seriously. Yeah. Dead serious. <laughs> because I've gotten a lot of sponsorships from sex toy companies. Oh, because there you go. Because they like so many com- so many places don't want sex sponsorship, right? So it's harder for those companies to find places like mainstream ish. So anyway, so I've been writing a lot of sex toy companies and being like, sponsor my show. And they're like, great. <laughs> so I'm getting sent all these products. And there's one that I haven't used yet, but it's like adorable and it's little and it's a little <laughs> sneaky. And I feel like that would be me. There's this one. Oh. <laughs> I don't even know what it's called, but it's fine because they're not paying you for this sponsorship. So we shouldn't even name who it is. But oh. the, it like sits on your clit and it has, uh-huh. little, it has little arms so that it like lodges itself. You can't see what I'm doing. This is probably for the best. No. I'm like making myself a tiny sex toy. But <laughs> that's the one that I would be. Is it remote control? No, it's some um, bad. You, you plug it in. 
and then there's a button. It's like a, it's like a tiny vibrator, but it like holds itself on your clit, basically. Okay, so you're so you're cutting edge. I would be an adorable, adorable yes. small. Yes. Okay. Little, yeah, little bit like of a spy. That. Yeah. Yeah. And and very yeah new. I like that. I want everyone um, to know that there was no editing there. I had an answer immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm very impressed at how serious you took that question. Yep. Well, and the the immediacy of your answer. Very impressive. You're welcome. It must be that Yale education. <laughs> That's definitely what I learned there, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, critical thinking, thinking on the fly, you know, ad lib. Yeah. Um, so to what extent do you think, I'm not sure the, the phrase here, but the dateability of someone is revealed by their community of friends? A lot. Although, yeah, a lot. It's it's interesting. Um well. Yeah, it, it's a, that's such a good question. It's definitely something, I mean, here's the thing. Um, there's a lot of men who don't have that many friends and there's a lot of different reasons for that. And a lot of those men are lonely and I wish they were better at making friends. But then it is really interesting, you know, when, when you, you know, the boys, they have, they bring their friends to the show and they're rooting for them. And it's very interesting to see who brings friends and how many they bring. And the, some of them do have these really supportive communities and it's really beautiful. And then you talk to them mm. after the show and they have all these wonderful things to say and how much fun it was to see their friend on stage and they want him to meet someone. And so you can tell a lot. But I guess the flip side of that is I don't necessarily want to penalize some of these more introverted men. But there, there mm -hmm. are definitely guys where you know, you realize pretty quickly that they they don't they don't have a big friend group, which again is yeah. like a whole national discourse thing we're having right now. So you probably have a lot exactly. more thoughts than I do. But there are definitely some. It's but yeah. Sorry, I'm working that one out on the fly because nobody's really asked me that. But it's been definitely interesting to see. And even um, on the social media clips, oh my gosh, there was this one clip. So when the boys enter, they can't speak. So I brag for them. I talk about what they do, what they like to do. And then I'm ruining a little bit of the surprise, but I surprised them with a childhood photo that their mother sent me. And for this one guy, she sent me his high, high school yearbook complete with like all these insane quotes oh, and things no. that he did. Oh my God, it was hilariously funny. He loved it. The crowd's going crazy. I'm reading all the stuff he wrote in his senior yearbook. But then when I put it on social media, the number of people that came out of the woodwork because they went to high school with him and social media like kind of knows to feed it to your friends of friends of friends, right? So all these, all his high school friends are commenting. It was, I mean, it was amazing. So it's, it's very definitely like whether or not they have a good community of friends really comes out quickly. But I don't know what to do about the men who don't have that. Well, yeah, I mean, we know there's an epidemic of loneliness, yeah. but let me ask you just personally, would you date someone without other male friends? Is that like a, is it a, Pink flags. Other male flag. friends or other female friends? Um, I don't know. I guess it could be different. Because I think it's it's great when guys have a lot of female friends. Um, mm -hmm. I've also spoken to women who are like, I think it's a red flag if he has too many female friends. And I'm like, that's crazy to me. Like, I think that's great. He's clearly great at talking to women and socializing mm -hmm. with women and hanging out with women. And he probably respects I, I women more. I could also more, see it know? leading to jealousy too. Right. So that's the thing is it says more about them. The woman right, about him, right? right? Um, I would, I would date a, a guy. Well, so I dated this one guy. Oh, now I hope he never hears this because he might be upset. But he's, I mean, he's so sweet, and he doesn't have that many friends. But the friends that he has that I met were really cool. 
Okay. But I do wish upon him more friends. I don't think he's as good. He's not, he's introverted. He's not great at putting himself out there. Yeah. 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 And I, and I think that's how we're socialized is to be self-reliant, be stoic, don't ask for help. And yeah. And we lose friendships along the way as we get older. Yeah. So, um, so, so interesting. Whatever. I mean, I have more questions for you in terms of like <laughs> why, why that happens or, or how that happens, or I don't know, like, yeah, or what can be done about that? I know it's like a whole entire discourse. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, I realized with my male clients that it, it was an epidemic and a lot of men that I speak to struggle with male friendships. And so I started a men's monthly dinner. Um, I also lead a men's group just largely to get more socializing in there. Well, I have a man that I I need to that I want to send to you. Actually, I think I already sent him your stuff, but he um because the other thing that I'm noticing in my male friendships is that some of my you know, as we get a little older and like real shit is going down. I have a guy friend that he has lost he recently lost his last remaining parent. He has no siblings. Mm. And he has this huge group of guy friends, huge. And they have had no idea how to support him. They have not supported him. They don't ask uh. him how he's doing. And it's been a little, like, for him, I think it's, like, this feeling of the foundation cracking. Like, he thought he had these amazing guy friends. And I still think he does. Like, yeah. I've met them all, and I think they love him so much. And I think they have no idea how to talk about it. And so they mm -hmm. just don't. They don't even think about it. They don't put him, themselves in his shoes. But it's a it's a weird dilemma where I still believe that they do love him. And there was one point where I called one of the main guys. It's a huge group of boys. They're adorable. Whenever you go out with them on a weekend, there's like 30 of them, right? And I, one of them, I sat down and I was like, you need to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And he did exactly that. And he did, mm -hmm. they all, they, they stepped up and they were wonderful. But like, if I was not instructing them and I, yeah, but yeah, so that's a problem too. He's the one where I'm like, he needs to join a men's group so that he yeah. has guy friends that he can talk to about this. Because the other thing is, it not not just for him, but for a lot of men, it then ends up falling all on like your one female friend, and mm -hmm. then like that's not great either. That right. you have like this one woman in your life who feels like she's got to be on call all the time. Not to say if he ever listens that that is necessarily what he's doing, but definitely that is a thing that happens. Right. No, and, so, and I think yeah. you're absolutely right. I imagine that, that that group of male friends loves him. They just, they're inexperienced, they're uneducated, they haven't been socialized in any way to help in those difficult emotional situations. They don't know what to do. Yeah, because on mean, the flip I, side, I, really I, think, yeah. I, I think asking, you know, you can ask a teenage guy or an adult male, like, you know, Oh my God, like what were you thinking in that situation or, you know, any given situation? I'll be like, I don't know. And I think that's an honest answer for <laughs> yeah. many of us, right? That we don't know what we're thinking. We don't know what we're feeling. We don't yeah. know why we did, why we did what we did because we yeah. lack self awareness. And that's not our fault, I would say, but it is something that is our responsibility to evolve beyond. I love that. It's not your fault, but it is your responsibility. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Cause there's something else like, uh, that's there's I don't know if this is popping up for you in your work, but I think because I run a dating show and you know I'm single in my 30s, I'm seeing all the you know conservative pundits pop up on my social media about like we have an epidemic of child free single women and they're miserable, and then the rest of us are like we're not miserable, we're actually doing <laughs> just great. 
<laughs> and then there's this um, other narrative that's popping up on social media that's like, well, women were told to evolve and we did. Uh-huh. And we've realized we don't need to put up with this and we can lead very happy lives on our own. But the men have not been told to evolve. And until they right. do, we will happily remain single. And, well, and that's the whole and, thing, right? And, and we're on the, the Evolved 70s, Caveman podcast. <laughs> yes. I mean, since the 70s, the women have gotten reproductive freedom. Well, which some of which has been dialed back recently, but I don't even want to go into that. Yeah. Um, and you've also gotten financial freedom by moving more and more into the workforce and making your own money. So mm-hmm. expectations for relationships from women have changed dramatically where women now want more empathy, more supportiveness, more listening, more compassion. And nobody told the guys. Yeah. And and so I, I think you're absolutely right that women did continue to evolve and the men were kind of like, well, love me as I am. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think and many a- women are like, ah, no, thanks. Yeah. I'm like, I'll love you as you are, but you need to uh, step up for me. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, think it's, I, I mean, to me, life yeah. is growth. Like the, one of the purposes yeah. of life well, is growth. It's such, a, it's such a quintessential example of like the patriarchy is not helping men, right? Like men would right. also, like my friend who lost both parents and now doesn't have guy friends to turn to, right? Like it's like, ultimately, I wish men would realize, and I think a lot do, that this would be great for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We'd all well, win. And I think that's, it, that's progressively happening. I think more and more men are realizing, wow, I need to get in touch with my full spectrum of humanity not just this, you know, story that I was fed growing up about what it means to be a real man. Yeah. And so I so I've got a I've got a very personal question for you. Uh you mentioned that you're single in your early 30s and how much pressure do you get from your mom about settling down and having children? Well, I'm older than you think, but I feel like <laughs> I I feel like I'm not allowed to like let anyone in Hollywood know my age. You know what I mean? Like uh, I late twenties. Yeah, I understand. Uh huh. But um, a few things. My I think my mother was really on. Well, she I don't think she was. She was when I was twenty five. My mother like had an intervention and told me that I wasn't going on enough dates and I hang out with too many gay men. And I was like, this is insane. <laughs> this is insane, insane. And I was twenty five. Also, and I was like, I do go on dates. I just don't call my mother about it. You know what I mean? Um, so she was really, we actually had to have a lot of kind of like blowout fights mm. about it for the boundaries to finally set in. Because the other thing is that I know she means well, but uh, okay. So I personally have reached a point where I personally am, um, very content. Like I really like my life, but there was Good a time you. in my late twenties, early thirties where I was really upset about being single. And I think it's like that age where you, so, okay. Something happens to women, maybe to men as well, where for a long time you watch everyone else get engaged and you're like, Oh, I'm so behind. And then mm-hmm. you watch everyone get married and you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm so behind. And then you watch everyone have kids and you're like, Oh my gosh, I'm so behind. And then somebody clicks where you're like, I'm on a different path. Let's see where this goes. And it gets really <laughs> fun. Right. But there's a point yeah where you're still stuck on that path and you're watching everyone else. And it's uh, the, Oh, the other sort of um, perverse positive thing that happens is you, as you get older, you start seeing that marriage is actually really hard. And so you actually mm-hmm. realize like, I have a married friend who I love her. She and her husband are an amazing couple, but she tells me all the time. She's like, look, Allie both have their positives. 
and both mm-hmm. have their minuses and that's fine. You're fine. Like you're on, she said, she's like, she's like, I love my husband. Am I any more or less happy? Do I still deal? You know what I mean? So she's wonderful. So you see a lot of that. So anyway, so I'm really loving where I am right now, but long winded way of saying I was not in my late twenties, early thirties. I was very upset about it. And so then to have my mother be like, why haven't you met someone? I'm like, you don't realize that what you're doing is like twisting the knife. You're not being helpful. Yeah. You're making me feel like shit. Right. Yep. So, um, yeah, so I, I had to set up a lot of boundaries for her to yeah, stop and to asking your, me about it. Thank you for sharing that. And to your to your mom's point, I, I love there's a graph from a research, famous research study that on one axis has satisfaction with life, on the other axis has age. And it starts out in your 20s and the life satisfaction is really high. And then as you get in your 30s, it drops precipitously and it makes a U-shaped curve. So it bottoms out in your 40s your 50s, it starts to rise again. And then in your 60s, it's back up where it was in your 20s. Really? And so basically it's saying Wait. that uh, your, your life that. satisfaction drops in your 30s, 40s, and 50s. And they've connected that with child rearing. <laughs> and so, you know, when does your life satisfaction return to normal? Well, when the 18-year-old moves the hell out of the house. Oh my God. Now, that's now, the, uh, yeah. So and so well, hold on. So I so it cracks me up. Now I don't think it takes into account how meaningful we find raising children, but it does speak to the fact that raising kids is difficult as hell at times. Now I'd love to see that chart compared to a chart of singles from their 20s to their 60s. And yeah, because I have to say how that I, compares. Yeah. And speaking of my mother and all that, I've never really been into babies. Like when I was in my 20s, I used to make a lot of jokes just among friends that I wanted to have babies at the last biologically feasible moment. And when I was rich <laughs> enough to have someone else take care of them. And then a okay. bunch of my girls all looked at me at one point and they were like, maybe you don't want kids. And I was like, <laughs> huh? Like it blew my mind, right? That like, oh, yeah, I don't, That's I don't want an option. Yeah, like, cause well, also when you're a kid, you're friends with other kids. And so your entire world pretty much is people having kids. But I would always joke about, you know, wanting someone else to take care of them and having them at the last possible moment. My friends were like, you don't want kids. And I was like, interesting. So I've never really wanted them. And my mother actually has known that about me and that has not bothered her, which has been very- That has not dissuaded her from pressuring you to have kids, I imagine. No, 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 no. She actually, she was really, really on me about meeting someone, but she's never been like, when are you going to give me grandkids? And there was- Oh, really? Yeah, it's been interesting. And there was one point in my early- Yeah, it is. And there was one point in my early 30s where she looked at me and she said, I know you don't want kids. And that doesn't bother me. That was very, Hmm. it was very interesting. But she's definitely like very upset that I'm single. (laughs) Interesting. But but interesting about that dip you were saying, because I feel like my satisfaction has gone up tremendously in my uh, late 30s, which is where I actually am. Yeah. Well, I think it goes (laughs) up in proportion to how comfortable you are in your own skin, how relaxed you can be in your own life. And how satisfied you are with the path that you're on. Yeah, 100%. Um, Because, you know, of course I look at other, you know, comedians. You know, they're so, nobody's heard of me, right? I look at other people and I'm like, oh my gosh, why aren't I further along? But I don't know. I also support myself through comedy. And I have so much fun running these shows. And it's pretty good life. You know what I mean? I think just supporting yourself through comedy is fucking amazing. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. I mean, the show is, I can't wait for you to see it. I, I think I'm, I'm bringing it to SF next January 13th. I yeah, think. please oh, no, let 12th, me know. I think. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you know. It's a bit tough with the holidays and stuff. Same, mm-hmm. but, 
Like, it's funny because I love this show so much that when the holidays are here, I'm upset about it. Because I'm like, I can't do shows. It's going to be so hard yeah. to market them during the holidays. Like, I no wish one's there were gonna not come. <laughs> well, let's, uh, let's switch yeah. to your podcast real quick. Um, the How to Break Up by Text. Tell me what some of the more outlandish breakup texts are that you've seen? I think a hundred percent of breakup texts are outlandish because they should never be done by text. Do you know what Fair I mean? Enough. Like 100% okay, wait, wait. So let me, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. So is there a, a time, a temporal cutoff during which it's okay to break up by text versus absolutely not? In other words, like if you've gone on one date or three dates or yeah. two weeks. Yeah. But then when you think about it, it's not a breakup, right? If you're not, you're not officially anything, you're both seeing other people at that point, you don't want, you don't need to hear someone's voices. They tell you that they're not that into you, right? Like I think after a, you know, a date or two, like it's best to do it by text, right? But if you're in any kind of situation and you're going to do it by text. And the thing is like, we all know what that line is really like deep down. If you know that you're sending a text because you're dreading a phone call and you're taking the easy way out, like, you know, when it's wrong, (laughs) But then everybody does it because it, it, it is the, it's so tempting because it's so much easier, right? So it's mm-hmm. so easy to send off that text, but it really escalates everything tremendously and doesn't give people closure. Like it's been interesting. There's yeah. some men where they've broken up with me and then I have forced them to have a conversation under duress. <laughs> but it's been so helpful. By the end of the conversation, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. And I see why we're not a match and good luck to you. <laughs> yeah. But the way it changes my own feelings about it is drastic. Well, it almost feels like there's this hierarchy of breakup, right? There's like ghosting at the bottom, then there's text, then there's phone, and then there's in person. And they all take I would even add voice memos in there. Courage. Oh, voice memos. Yeah, I didn't I think about that things, one. I ended things with a guy by voice memo. Ouch. Note. Well, yeah, like, it was a well, very I left like... You, I left you a voice memo. <laughs> No, well, we were leaving voice notes back and forth. And I basically, this is very early on, we were leaving uh, voice notes back and forth. And I told him um, something that I need, which is I have a anxious slash secure attachment style. Mm-hmm. And if you're really trying to date me, a text a day keeps the anxiety away, basically. You know what yes. I mean? Yeah, fair enough. And he was like, I can't give you that. And I was like, well, that's a really low bar. So I'm out then. <laughs> yeah. But it was by it was by voice note. <laughs> well, and I, I think you know I'm sorry about that. And I That's also okay. think that you know one of the great things about relationship is that you can heal your attachment style in the right relationship. So you get to a secure attachment style. Although you can't heal your partner's trauma from childhood, you can heal their attachment style and get to the point where you both feel secure in that relationship. And I think that's one of the big goals of a thriving relationship. Well, I think that's what's hard for me when I like get up the courage to say, hey, like I've done some of this work and here's what I need to make me feel calm. Can you do this for me? And they're like, nah. And I'm like, well, yeah, then you've it, left me no option. I mean, that, that's an instant that, red flag to me. That, yeah. That's a deal breaker. Like, especially for something as little as, you know, can you text me twice a day? Wasn't even twice. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I'm, I'm upping the bar for you. Thank you so much. Maybe I should. But yeah, no, I mean, but but even that, I almost wish that we'd had a conversation more than voice, yeah, back in, more than voice notes because, you know, maybe he was feeling defensive and he didn't really mean it in that moment. But then I drew the line of like, well, if you can't do this really, really simple thing for me, I can't date you, you know. Well, and I think the other possibility is to get curious about why is that the case, you know, what's going on there for you, for him that you can't do something, yeah, for him that yeah. you can't do something as simple as 
send a text once a day because that, that's really pretty minimal. Yeah. I mean, two weeks later, he actually reached out to me and he was like, so I talked to my therapist and you're right that I was being avoidant, but thank you for like saving us from an even bigger cycle. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And that's a whole nother conversation, that anxious avoidant trap. Yeah. So he was like, so thanks for saving us from that trap. Whereas I was kind of like, when he told me that, I was kind of like, well, if you've talked about it with your therapist and you're willing to admit that you were being avoidant and are you apologizing? Because like, I'll move forward then. But he was kind of like, so thanks. And I was like, all right, we're actually kind of friends now. So. (laughs) Well, and and Jory and I were in that trap, that anxious avoidant trap, and we've worked our way out of it, but it took some, it took some work. Yeah. It takes both people wanting to work their way out. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing once you do, because I, I do think we've, we're at the most secure place we've ever been, which I'm really grateful for. Yeah. yeah. And I think that might be the first time in a relationship for me feeling secure. Yeah. Well, here's and another I'm 56. question. Yeah. Mm. Well, here's another question for you because I think a pitfall of men's groups is that, first of all, I think it has to be the right men's group because I do worry about a lot of men going to these men's groups and then just like, if, if they, well, Because there's a lot of people leading them that I don't think necessarily have a robust background in this. And then they're just kind of Mm -hmm. validating each other. And there's no woman in the room to be like... Women bashing. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because it's weird to like know these exist and have no idea what goes down, really. You know? Yeah. And I think part of it is, you know, one of the things that I suggest to men that I work with is this idea of radical accountability. So, Mm -hmm. you know... I think it's a really good idea to radically take accountability for everything that's happening in your life, which means that, you know, let's say you and your girlfriend get into a fight. Mm-hmm. What part of that is you? What part, where did you contribute to that disagreement? Where can you improve? Where can you do your work so that you're not so reactive? Yeah. I think that's beautiful. And I wish that we would all ask ourselves this. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's, it's, well, it's so easy to get angry and externalize blame, right? And Allie, if you just stopped being a fill in the blank, I wouldn't be so pissed off. You know, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. Like that's, that doesn't help out anybody. This is something that I think is beautiful about staying single uh, past the norm, let's say. Because I do feel like, especially the women in my life, because women are told that they have failed if they don't lock in a man by whatever age, right. they're all really looking at themselves and really doing the work. And it's interesting because even if, going back to early in our conversation, even if the men aren't following suit, it's improving our friendships too. Like the way mm-hmm. the way my friends and I argue in our mid-late 30s is fascinating. It's mm-hmm. so great. It's so mature. It's like, well, this is, I mean, it's it's almost comical. And the way we can also wrap it up so quickly without anyone harboring any sort of lingering resentment is really Mm -hmm. interesting. But it's because my friends have all been to therapy and read a thousand self-help books. You know what I mean? Well, and and I think it's, you know, one of the hallmarks of successful people is their willingness to dive into uncomfortable conversations. And and that takes practice and it takes courage. And I, I think, you know, going back to this idea of ghosting and breaking up by text, I think that one of the things the vast majority of people out there aren't willing to do is to wade into uncomfortable conversations where they are fearful or angry or resentful or anxious or stressed. Yeah. It's interesting too, because running this dating show, there's a lot of uh, 
it's so easy to take risks for other people, right? Like, well, I guess when you were saying that, I was thinking about my own shamelessness and comfort comfort with discomfort. I have a lot of comfort with discomfort, but there's a unique kind of discomfort when it's Well, yeah, I saw you, you get spanked <laughs> by a, a dildo on stage. Yeah, like I don't so care, you, you know what I mean? And yeah, I'm totally fine. Uh, that was actually a beautiful moment. <laughs> it was, I liked it. Because it was for the first ever lesbian show. So what I do in the regular show is if the men accidentally speak, they get dinged with this dung and I have an audience volunteer. For the mm-hmm. lesbian show, it was my first time doing a lesbian show. I'm very straight. And so I said, if I fuck anything up, if I say any dumb straight girl shit, whatever it is, you can ding me with this dung. Mm-hmm. I ended up getting dinged because I actually just messed up my own rules for the game. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it, I, cause I was, tr- I was trying really hard to be very deliberate about like, how do I make this show feel inclusive and mm-hmm. community oriented and not, and I don't want to, I want to acknowledge that I'm an outsider. Yeah, and I'm you know you're going to step in it at least once. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's almost a given to me. Yeah, but oh my God, it was it was actually wonderful. The, the community was so strong. That's another thing that's interesting going back to like male friendships and stuff. Mm-hmm. So every single contestant who participates, um, you know, they, they get one comp and then I give them a discount code that is their name um, to share with friends if their friends want to come. And... It's interesting too how some men will have like two friends come support them. Some men will have 10 friends come support them. For the lesbians, no one had fewer than 20 people. It was fascinating. Wow. And as a show producer, it was incredible. I've never seen so many group sales. Like almost every sale (laughs) that came in was like 10 tickets, which as a producer was beautiful. I was like, oh my God, I can breathe. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's very interesting. The straight shows, there's a lot more single tickets that are bought. And in the lesbian show, I mean, it was almost all group sales. And in fact, I think the stragglers that were buying one ticket at a time were just coming with that same huge group. But yeah, it's been very interesting running this show. Oh, it's also very interesting to see the women's process of elimination. Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute. I think the the thing that really struck me and early Sorry, on, can the women yeah. see the men? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the women... So I so first of all, when people attend, they get a wristband based on their relationship status. So green if you're single, okay. red if you're taken. I tell my door people if they pause, give them yellow for the situ- <laughs> for the people who not they're not sure. Um, polyamorous. Well, the poly people started requesting their own wristband because I was oh. joking that the yellow people, the people with yellow wristbands, they're confused. They need to make a choice. The poly people were like, "We're not confused. We're dating." You Fair know enough. what I mean? So so poly purple now, and it's been okay. fun to see kind of a growing poly contingent, and then. Even in the straight shows, I'm real. I'm. I realize there are a lot of gay audience members who were like, "Okay, now all these straight people are hitting on me." Oh. <laughs> so I also have pride wristbands. So you can double up. Awesome. I would be super happy if I get to a point where there's like 15 wristbands and it's just like an "if you know, you know" situation. That's cool. Um, people can. But so, so sorry, are, the, yeah. the woman, the bachelorette, so to speak. Yeah, then the bachelorette the comes out. Yeah, sorry, I was walking into the whole thing, but like, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's cool. The bachelorette comes on stage. We chat. She brings up a friend with her. Then, then I introduce each of the men individually. I brag about them. I surprise them with their photo that their mother sent me. And she can see all of them. They can all see each other, but the men okay. can't speak. And very okay. early on, I had one woman in particular where she eliminated amazing men and she chose this one guy at the end. And very quickly, almost like immediately after the show, she was like, yeah, I'm not really into the guy that I chose. And I was like, well, then... Why did you choose him? Were you not into huh. any of the guys? Like, why did you choose him? And she goes, well, he seemed the most interested in me. And I oh. was like, oh, girl. 
yeah. this is bad. Like this is the whole women being taught that they need to be chosen. Yeah. That they need to please a man. Like her thing was like, he was making eyes at me. He seemed the most interested in me. And so that was who she chose. That's dicey. Yeah. And it was just so, it made me so sad. I was like, girl, mm-hmm. what do you want? Like who made, who right. was exciting to you? How did you feel? And I have to say, even for me, it was only fairly recently. I want to say like maybe two years ago that I was um, reading or watching something where where the expert said too many women think about, um, oh, did he like me? What did he think? Mm-hmm. Will there be a second date? And not enough women after a date think, how did I feel? Like, how did I literally feel in his presence? Did I feel energized? Did I feel excited? Did I feel optimistic? Did I feel bored? Like, we, we yeah, Or how well did they stack up to, you know, my list of five must-haves and my list of three deal breakers? Yeah. Yeah. So it was very interesting early on to see that. Um, but I still think there's, it's very interesting to see whom they eliminate. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's surprising to me too, every time. Like there's always, well, not always, very, but very often, like I've chosen a winner in the back of my mind where I like think they're actually a really good match. Um, I have no idea what's going to happen this Saturday night. I think they're all great for her. <laughs> well, I, I can't wait. I wish you much luck and much success with the show. I think it's a fantastic idea. It sounds fun as hell. And I can't wait to see it when it comes up to San Francisco. Thank you. I can't wait to meet in person when you when I when I go up to San Francisco. <laughs> Me too. And and so again, the show is Love Isn't Blind and the podcast, which comes out, is that February 2024? Yep. And it's frustrating because we recorded text. it a whole year ago. But yeah, how to break up my text and love isn't blind.co. Um yep. dot co. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not oh, I just I just got the dot com. I just got oh, it. Congratulations. Thank you so much. I was very I was looking myself. it up today and it defaulted to dot com. And I'm like, no, I want dot co. And it was very frustrating. Wait, <laughs> so, what? When I was typing in the URL. Oh, it was de- and, defaulting for you. Yeah, like I kept my website saying dot com. Wrong. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> just, you know. But yeah, I think I'm connecting it today. I'm very proud of myself because I'm Excellent. not very tech savvy, but I like went on drop catch, name catch, whatever. And I like put all these bids in and I got the dot com. For 59 bucks. Yeah. Wow, that's a deal. I know. <laughs> and so, so let me ask you this. How can people get a hold of you? How can they follow you? Where can they find you to find out more? So I'm across social media at Allie, A-L-L-I underscore G-O-L-D-I. So any of your listeners are welcome to slide into my DMs respectfully, you know. Um, and if you want to apply to be a contestant, if you go to loveisn'tblind.co, there's a tab at the top that says be a contestant and um, it, it'll take like two to three minutes to fill out the form. Uh, and then if it's a good fit, I'll set up a time to chat. Caveat, sometimes men apply who seem wonderful, but I know that I don't have a show for them just yet, either because of the age range or whom I already have or diversity or whatever. Um, but I am like building, I do, I have like a giant database of singles that I'm trying to pop into shows whenever that when it makes the most sense for that group, if that makes sense. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Ali, thanks so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure and I'm grateful for these, this new friendship. Me too. Thanks. And that is it for this episode of the Evolved Caveman podcast. If you liked or loved this episode, please be sure to like, rate, review, and share with your friends. And if you didn't like it, you don't have to do a damn thing. <laughs> thanks so much. Until next time. 
Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guidetoself.com. 